Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 180 with Eric Lockley. I'm your host, Eric Lockley. There are moments in life that define us, that set us down one path or plunge us down a completely different path. Join me as we dive into our guest's turning points. Let's laugh, heal, and be inspired together as we pull back the curtain on how our guest made the 180. Sometimes life gets hard when you're on your journey. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life will be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Say yes. <laughs> yes, oh, thanks. You know, I want it to be inspirational and catchy. It's perfect. It is. I love it. Jared Landon wrote it and, and composed it. So shout out to Jared. Well, you've already heard her, but I'm so excited and thrilled to have my guest, Sherelle Jones here. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little something about Sherelle. Sherelle Jones is the founder and class leader of Lil Dumplings, a business in Detroit, Michigan, dedicated to exploring the arts through ballet and creative movement classes for children. Currently, Lil Dumplings offers virtual classes and in-person classes for local children. Sherelle uses a holistic approach to introduce concepts such as choreography, storytelling, and improvisation to kids. Sherelle's love of dance began at a very young age, and she's been trained at institutions such as LaGuardia High School of Music and Art in the Performing Arts, the Alvin Ailey School, the American Ballet Theater, Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet Intensives, and California Institute of the Arts. Sherelle's work focuses on spreading a sense of community and appreciation for the arts among children. So thank you so much, Sherelle, for being here. Thank you. And thank you for saying that. That sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's you. It's you. You've done it. You've done that and so much more. <laughs> yes. Say yes to a beautiful... What was it? <laughs> to a beautiful future. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I say yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. We affirm here. We affirm. We empower. Yes. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you, and I always start out these uh, <laughs> these shows with a little game to continue to get to know you and play. It's game time on the 180. The name of the game is The Whimsical World of Peter Pan. And so this game was inspired because I visited your website, and... It's so magical and playful, and there's the video of you teaching, but like it feels very like I'm in a fantasy world. It's beautiful <laughs> and, and just so fun. Thank you. So the game we're going to play is The Playful World of Peter Pan. Ooh. <laughs> right, the correct reaction. Um, really, it's just kind of some facts about Peter Pan. So I'm going to ask you, some of them are true or false, some of them are like either or, but let's get started. True or false, Walt Disney himself played Peter in a stage version of Peter Pan. True or false? Mm, I'm going to say false. Ah! It's true. <laughs> Apparently, Walt Disney as a kid like got to see a production of Peter Pan and fell in love with it and then then played Peter in a school production. Okay. It's weird. I mean, of course, I had to do research because I didn't know that. Right. But that's not right. All right. True or false, Marilyn Monroe was the inspiration for Tinkerbell. False. Okay. Yes. 
<laughs> Even though, I, I mean, people that are just listening won't see it, but I was like shaking my head. <laughs> Like, oh, wait, no, I know you weren't looking. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm gonna shake my head because I don't want it to get too wrong in a row. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Marilyn Monroe was not inspiration. But yeah, you you had like context clues. I don't, I don't know what she was doing, but I don't think she was doing her thing when no. Tinkerbell was you know came mm-hmm. about. So no, it was in fact an actress named Margaret Carey who was the animator's model for the fairies. So it was not Marilyn Monroe. All right. Okay. This this should be very fun uh, for both of us. Is this quote from Disney's Peter Pan or from Hook? I'm playing two characters, so prepare yourself. Okay. This is Smee. Shmee. 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 I've just had an apostrophe. Captain Hook. I think you mean an epiphany. Lightning has just struck my brain. Well, that must hurt. <laughs> is that from Hook? <laughs> The Steven Spielberg movie Hook or from Disney's Peter Pan? I would say that is from Hook. That is correct. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've just had an apostrophe. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently that was a fun moment in the movie. I don't really remember that mo- moment, but I thought it was funny. I feel like that movie was really funny, actually. I just recently watched the latest yeah. version, like release with my kids maybe a month or two ago. Of of a different Peter Pan or a Hook? Of Hook. Or maybe the story before Hook. So oh. the making of Hook. Oh, interesting. Yes. That, uh, yeah, that, from my childhood, I loved Hook. It was such a good movie. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, you watch it and of course you're like, wait, they were talking about some adult things too. Too. There was a <laughs> lot of stuff going on yes, there. Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, in the film stage adaptation of Peter Pan... In order to bring Tinkerbell back to life, the audience is told they must do what? Hmm, believe. Uh-huh. And a, a little more. There's a little more than believe. And <laughs> and um What did you do to get Tinkerbell back alive, Dan? Dan? <laughs> You dance to get Tinkerbell back alive. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. I hope you can tell your students that. It's, you have to clap your hands. You have to clap. You have to clap to get oh, Tinkerbell. Oh, the audience. Of course. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get a half point. You get a half point. Because I feel like, believe was a big part of it. I was like, I was like, Sherelle might just say clap and not include the believe. But you had the believe. So you at least get a half point. Yeah, I'm not thinking about the audience. We're generous here at the 180. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, True or or false, in 2020, director Ben Zetlin cast a Black actor as Peter Pan in his reimagining of the tale of Peter Pan that's entitled Wendy. In 2020? Mm Mm-hmm. I want that to be true. (laughs) So it is. (laughs) I believe. Yes, you believed enough. Yes. Message. Believe enough, and it will be true. The young actor's name is Yashua Mack, and he played Peter Pan in this uh, movie that came out this year called Wendy. Final question. I think you're I think you're gonna know this one. In an upcoming Disney live action remake of Peter Pan, which grownish star is playing Tinkerbell? Yara Shahidi or Holly Bailey? Yara. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yara Shahidi, not Holly Bailey. Um, well, you did well in The Playful World of Peter Pan. Thank you. 
I had a lot of anxiety at the beginning of the game. I never do well on the spot like this. <laughs> oh, I, oh I really don't. I did a trivia with my cousin and they were doing like hip hop. They're like, oh, yeah, the youngest um, hip hop rapper. And I was like, I don't know who that is. They're like, really shrill. <laughs> Bow Wow. <laughs> that, oh, what's, oh, I was, see, I, I, was, I, was, I was like, oh, yeah, Bow Wow. It was Bow Wow. But, yeah, no, but I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. And I wish you all. I mean, for the, anybody that is able to see it, but if you're just listening, the background that you have, Sherelle, it just it just looks so magical. I mean, it it is a little fantasy land. It's it's great. Thank you. So I'm gonna ask you some more questions just to get to know you a little better. What was one thing you refused to eat or drink as a kid that you enjoy now? Oh, that's a great question. I would say I had a hard time eating pilori, which is a, a Trinidadian. Okay. I was like, I've never heard of this. But okay, but yes, please describe, you know, let's be educated. Trinidadian um, pastry. So if you think of a really, like a, a roti, you ever had roti? Uh-huh. So like a, a tortilla, like a burrito, yeah. but it just has chickpeas. So it's just oh. chickpeas and um, it's made with, it's curry chickpeas, but they always put like a really hot um, pepper sauce on there. And I refused to eat it when I was younger, but now I love it. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I, I can kind of see how texture wise, especially as a kid, it'd be like. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. All the mush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the mush. But um, but you love it now. Okay. I do. You know, that, there's a 180 for you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Yes. What is a fanciful, I'll say fanciful, I guess, yeah, mm-hmm. some place that does not really exist that you would like to live or visit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, it would be where Maleficent lived in that forest. Okay. That's where I want to go. Okay. Well, now tell me a little more about that, like, because I don't really remember what was special about that forest. Well, because they had, like, all the creatures that you would imagine in all the fairy tales, and they all had such great personalities, so it wasn't, like, you know, there were some mischievous characters uh-huh. and really emotional ones, and then, you know, like, the ones that clutch their pearls when, you know, things happen or yeah. uptight, and I just love that. That's where I would want to live. I love it. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to say, like, Disney should just cut us a check, because I just realized at the 180... We'd be a lot of Disney references. I mean, maybe oh. that's life these days. Maybe that's life in 2020. You can't get away from Disney. <laughs> but okay, all right. So the Maleficent's Forest. Yes. And what was your favorite game to play as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> I did not like playing games when I was a kid. I liked... Really? Yes. I liked taking my ballet class and then also being alone and singing my songs. <laughs> Being alone and singing your songs. So you, you would not sing your yes. songs in front of other people. You were like, I'm going to be alone and I'm going to sing my songs. I was that kid that I had like my recorder in the room and I would get my tapes and I had recorded my songs that I loved off the um, the radio. Uh, the radio. Yes. And I would close my room door and I would sit down and sing my songs. I love it. Tony Braxton's whole album sometimes. Hey, I, that was I was gonna say. Well, what was one of your favorite songs to sing as a kid, or what's one song that you like? Your parents were like, "Okay, we've had enough. Please stop." It was "How Could an Angel Break My Heart." Yes. <laughs> that was my jam. Yeah. Oh, I remember that Tony song, and I think it did. Kenny G play. Yes. Yes. 
Yep. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. How good is it to make my heart? So that's yes, how dramatic yes. I was. I just wanted to feel right. That, that is dramatic. Pain and, yeah, it was dramatic. <laughs> so that was my favorite to do, thing to do as a kid. We love to see it. Yes. Cool. Well, uh, this is good. I've I've learned a lot about you. So moving forward in terms of little dumplings and your dance background. When you were a child, what was the moment that you knew you wanted to dance? Oh, man, I just, I don't know. I feel like I just felt at home once I got into ballet and I started, Mm. like, that was my therapy and where I felt most safe. So that's, I just never stopped. And it was the one thing that I just kept doing and doing and doing. And then I would say in high school was when I started to look around and think like, oh, okay, where do I fit in in, you know, the world of having a dance career? And what does that look like for me? And I didn't know the answer to that. And that's why I went to CalArts, (laughs) you know, and I like tried to buy more time. And Mm. yeah, and then it revealed itself later on. But I don't think I had a moment. I think it was just such a part of my life and the place that I just wanted to be in dance class. Yeah. Did your parents have any background in dance or did they just see something in you? It was actually my cousin who told them to take us to dance class. So my mother's a nurse and my dad's a mechanic. (laughs) So they knew nothing about dance. Wow. Okay, so I I have to share because it it happened. I was like, this is like me. (laughs) Um, So I actually started as a a dancer as a kid. So um, my parents, like, I guess, well, Michael Jackson was my favorite. So whenever his music or his performances were on, I would like stand in front of the mirror or in front of the TV or anything reflective Yes. and like just start imitating him. And so they enrolled me in dance class. And um, that's really what got me starting to perform. Like you said, your parents weren't necessarily involved in the arts. My parents weren't involved in the arts, but something... What, I'm, I shouldn't even say something. Me literally dancing around the house all the time. Right. <laughs> Got like, them to okay. be like, <laughs> all right, we need to do something with all this energy. Yes, That's really cool. And it's it's beautiful that you had that support. So did you dance from the time you were a child right through high school and into college? or yes. And they supported, your family supported you through all that? Yes, yes. That's great. I was actually just thanking my mom for that recently because... She was talking about, you know, how she didn't want, she was from Trinidad, she is from Tobago, actually. Mm -hmm. And so the two choices for her was to be a teacher or to become a nurse. And she did not want to be a teacher. She said there was Mm -hmm. no way she was going to be teaching children. (laughs) (laughs) So she said she just got into the nursing program and she said, you know, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm really grateful to see that you guys do what you want to do also and the things that you love to do. And I just had a moment where I said, you know, mom, I really appreciate that because she never said to us, like, you're going to have to figure out something that is, Mm. you know, more stable or what are you going to do as a dancer? She never questioned it. She was just like do what makes you happy mm. and i i really appreciated that from her uh, yeah that's that's beautiful to hear and and we we want we always hope that our parents and then when we become parents you know that our children have the opportunity to do what they love and flourish and thrive in that 
But sometimes society or other forces are like, no, you got to do this. You got to do that. You know, yeah. it's supposed to be this way. It'll be easier for you if you do this. And it's like, it's not easy if I'm unhappy. It's not right. easy if yes. I'm miserable. Yes. And life will, you know, you it's an ocean out there. And it will, those ties will just pull you and push you if you're not clear on where you're going. Oh, okay. So clarity on where you're going. That's good. That, that brings me to another question. Little Dumplings at some point was a little idea in your mind. So how did you yes. transform it from an idea to a business that is currently serving a community in need? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, by bombing a lot of classes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Honesty. I love it. We love honesty. So after I had my daughter, I was taking her to like these play groups and there was this, another Trinidadian woman who was um, creating a school, uh, a play school. Mm. And she said, hey, you dance, right? You should teach the kids. And I was like, I don't know, you know, I, I'll try. <laughs> you know, it was like, it, it didn't take much convincing for me. <laughs> so at that point you weren't teaching or you? At that point, I wasn't teaching that age group. At that point I was okay, teaching I ages five and up, which is a huge difference from mm -hmm. what I do now. She hooked me up with a friend who had a bookstore, I mean, um, a children's toy store. In the basement of that toy store, she would hold classes. So she would have people oh, okay. like give classes in art and, you know, music, whatever for children. Mm -hmm. So I came in my first day, there were about 20 kids in there. And I was like, okay, I can do this. Like, these are babies, <laughs> like whatever. And it was a mess. When I tell really? you I was so unorganized, those kids were looking at me like, what? They were disappointed. You know? <laughs> the kids were disappointed. The kids oh, were no. disappointed. It felt exactly like that. Thank God my sister was with me because when we walked out of that place, I yeah. said, I cannot do this. I was like, oh. I am like the most terrible teacher and I should probably quit today. Oh. And she said, no, you should try it again. And I said, okay, I'm going to try it again. Yeah, yeah. They were like, what ages? They were from these a year one, or less? Or? Yes, these were one-year-olds to uh -huh. age three and a half, four. Wow, okay, so yeah. Yeah, I had no experience. And 20 of them, that's a and lot. And 20 of them. and and it, But that taught me something very, very early. Mm-hmm. It taught me that when you're going to do something that is new to you also, start small mm, because yeah. there's going to be so many mistakes along the way that you don't want to then build a reputation right, right, right. for having a terrible class, which I did. I did. And so the next time I came in, there were three students uh -huh. and then those three kept on coming back and then there were four and then, you know, then it was five. And I don't think that that location, yeah. because I stunk it up so badly that first time <laughs> ever reached more than eight kids, uh -huh. you know, but then I went to another location and I was able to maintain like 30 families wow. on a Saturday morning. Oh, and then on a Sunday morning, 9 a.m., I was able to build up to about uh, like 15 kids wow. with their families in the room. So that was pretty amazing. And um, But I started mm. with failure yeah, immediately, yeah. you know? So, but, you know, not being afraid to fail and then failing, you know, falling and then getting back up is is really important. Yes. So you're an example of like, you got back up and now you got low dumplings. <laughs> yes. And you know the thing 
about it is it's so I was thinking about this earlier because I was like, you know, when you read about people who have done it and you're like, yeah, if it gets hard for me, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to. Yeah, I, I can do that. I have I, I can persist. Uh-huh. I have perseverance. And but when it happened. Right. You're like, oh, no, I can't. I don't know. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I, I Maybe this is not for me. And I can see why there's so many people who don't push through those thresholds because it is so hard when you fail and you're you're not realizing that it is a fail forward if you take the opportunity but you have to be able to you know like show up again Mm. and again and again and again so that's what happened and to build it up i had to educate myself too it's like i couldn't just go in there thinking like oh i dance so i can teach early arts Right. Because that was not true. Right. right. <laughs> and so, yeah, walk us through a little bit of that process from those early classes to having a business of your own. Yeah. So um, once I got a class underway where I was starting to just experiment with things and then uh, the move to Detroit. So then I knew that once I moved to Detroit, that I was going to establish Little Dumplings as this business. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had learned enough to be able to carry a successful class, but there wasn't a um, a through line. So it would be like the same class with kind of like shifts in what we did each week. But right. because they were so young, it was OK that there was so much repetition. Yeah. Um, I knew that that wasn't going to be sustainable to gr- for growth. Right. Right. So when I got here, I was just lucky enough to be approached by a nonprofit here called Living Arts. They have a, a sector called Wolf Trap that goes into Head Start programs and early education programs, and they match the teachers with artists and they collaborate on um, lesson plans. Nice. So I said yes, and that's when where I learned so much about what was developmentally. Um, appropriate for this age group that I teach now. Mm -hmm. So that was where I got so much of my practice. And for Little Dumplings, when I came here to Detroit, while I was learning with the Head Start teachers and from the Head Start teachers, I was teaching classes out of the living room in the place that we were renting. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> that was when even thinking back to them, like, you know, that was something else. Like, I can't believe I mean, even now, like this is in my house, you know, and uh, I'm right, right. taping. <laughs> so I create it's like I'm back to where I, well, yeah. I was before, uh, but in a different way. Yeah. And it's also great uh, a great lesson in like start with what you have, you know, what I mean? yes. start where you're at yes. as opposed to like, okay, well, when I, when I, then that's when I'll start or then that's when I'll feel good or that then I'll be more confident. It's like, no, start where, with what you have. Absolutely. I feel like so many people stop themselves from even mm. tasting the success or like even figuring out like, what does that even look like for you? Because you know what, when you start to do something, it takes on a shape of its own. Yeah. Like you start, you think that it's going to look one way and then you step into it. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. And actually there's an opportunity down the road that way that I would rather take mm. that I never knew, you know? So yeah, I feel like it, it just start, just start and things will kind of open up for you. You'll figure out if, you know, where you want to be and what you're good at by just like, beginning yeah and practicing you know going after it Mm -hmm. go after it 
Yeah, so I slowly built the business from the living room that from the house that I was living in at the time and then renting out studio space after from a studio in Midtown here in Detroit. And then the classes just grew and grew and grew and grew until the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Right. Yeah. So let's let's talk about like the adjusting adjustment uh, for the pandemic for your business. What was what was that like? Oh, yeah, that actually, it it was really good for my business. Not that, you know, my business blew up after that, but I was trying to pivot at that point to figure out like how, how can I, um, best reach my audience? Like what does, Mm -hmm. what, what needs to happen with little dumplings? Because my student, the population was starting to be like this it was it looked like the idea of new detroit so i didn't have a lot of people of color coming to my classes anymore mm. but it was filling up with other people like white people were there and yeah i felt it was really um unnerving because i thought to myself like i'm in the middle of a 90 percent black city yeah and i have maybe 10 percent black kids in my class and so I started to really think of how can I um, create movement and create this experience so that I can get it out to other students. And I thought like, okay, maybe I'll make a video. And that's where that first video came from, which was Mm -hmm. now shot maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. Uh Yeah. So we were going to in the middle of launching that. And then the pandemic happened. And I thought like, okay, well, maybe I should just take all my classes online because the school that I was working to had um, transitioned to online work. Mm. So they asked me to do my movement classes online. And then I was like, okay, I'll I'll do little dumplings online too, if I'm just going to be doing everybody, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it was an easy transition in that sense. Um, Except for the the time it took for me to build this set in your house, in my house. Yeah. This is in the second unit of my house. And, with that, I mean, you talked about expanding your audience. Did you do you feel like it's successfully happening? And is it because of online outreach, or how do you, how do you think you tapped into different folks? Yes, I think it's slowly successfully happening because of the exposure that you get on social media and the access. Like so, now it's not just children that are in the city that have access to my classes. I it's across the country. So now I have kids that are, you know, in California and New York, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's really cool to see that happening and to be able to reach these families and be in their living rooms live, live with their kids, you know, having (laughs) this experience. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, it's a slow growth. I lost a lot of students because like the the live students here because um mm. some kids just don't like online it doesn't work for them they it does right. not they don't like being in front of a screen but for the families that it does work for they're very happy and um i still work with the kids uh in person here in smaller pod groups so cool that's been cool yeah i'm i'm really curious in terms of within the business you said at a certain point you re- recognize that the population that was in classes didn't look like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but I just would love to hear a little more about how that affected you and what you thought you could do about it. Mm-hmm. The people who want to show up are going to show up. So what did you feel yeah. or how yes. obligated did you feel to have to appeal to Black folks to show up? You know? 
Yeah, I I think what you said just now is, is really important that I had to accept was that the people who are going to show up are going to show up. Mm. That was made very clear to me when I shot the video yeah. that you see on the website. That was not my vision of you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the population to represent Little Dumplings, but those were the people who showed up for me that day. Yeah. So I'm not going to stop production. Like, oh, hold on. I need like three more brown kids in here. This is, <laughs> right. this is not looking right. You know, but that's the, fa- those are the families that showed up. I think that that's a part of what I'm still trying to figure out and kind of um, iron through because what one parent said to me a while ago was that and she's a black woman and she said you know i feel like when black people are occupying a space and then that space changes and other people start occupying the space with them there's sort of a backing out of it Hmm. and that resonated with me because i said wow that's what i felt i felt like i would lose one family and in another but my classes were growing but I was losing the people who had been there from the beginning and I I don't know if it's it, it oh and then she said you know because sometimes without knowing you know this is just like a privileged thing like people who um have grown up in privilege take up more space you know mm-hmm. so you come into a room you don't feel the pulls of racial tension, maybe right. like you've uh-huh. never been made to feel like you don't belong in a room. Mm-hmm. She was talking about that filling up the space and um, uh, people of color kind of retreating away. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know how to approach that right yet. Yeah, it's something that I've been really thinking about as far as like when we start um, doing in-person classes for bigger groups, if ever again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a pandemic. <laughs> it's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so I don't. That's something that I'm really thinking about, but thinking about the videos that I'm creating, just like putting that image out there of me as a black woman doing yes. creative dance. Right. Like yes. I, I feel like that's where I have control and I can contribute to that issue or, you know, the challenge of the people who have access. Yeah. And, and I, I would say like, it's incredibly helpful to see representation, even if it's quote unquote just you, <laughs> of seeing a black body take up space that is historically meant yes. for white folks. You know what I mean? To say, I am a black woman teaching children dance. I'm a black ballerina. I'm, you know, right. and so that is highly impactful. But I, I love what you said and what um, you said, friend mentioned about how sometimes white folks don't realize the space that they take up. Because I do think that that is mm-hmm. a reality, but how that affects each individual is going to be on an individual basis, you know? Yes. And so for you to stand your ground and say, well, I'm here, I'm doing the work and those who show up for me, I'm going to be grateful for. Yes. I think absolutely makes sense. And mm-hmm. that that's how you have to operate. Those who are showing up for you. You got to say thank you. Yeah. And I'm still here and I will be here. And as other folks come in, I'm welcoming them. But yes. if you got to leave, you got to leave. But I'm here. Right. I, so I love. Yeah. And that was like huge. That was huge for me because it was like I was tortured. I was calling my friend crying. She's like, Sherelle, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> like You did it. You did it. You are here. You know, like these are the people that are supporting you and, you know, you're grateful for that. And I was like, I am. And there was nothing more that I could have wished for except, you know, but yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a, it's a big deal. 
but it's part of success i think in a a sense like Mm. you know where that there's a certain threshold is well that i've seen yeah that i and i don't know if it's being a, a transplant from like another big city to detroit with this whole like new detroit idea hmm. is that i attracted a, the, the people who also were from other cities who were used to mm-hmm. programs like mine but they were not being offered that yeah here because it wasn't really bubbling like it does in new york new york brooklyn oh my gosh you go outside every corner store has as right. a, a kid's class in the morning, right? So, you know, uh-huh. that, and that's not the, the culture here. So I feel like I kind of captured that audience and that audience was mostly people who were white. Mm-hmm. So, Is there a moment, whether it was related to this journey with Lil Dumplings or separate, that you feel like was a big transition or a, a 180 for you? Yes. Um, when I decided that I was going to embrace what my training was uh-huh. <laughs> i was gonna embrace because okay when i started little dumplings i had like arts classes i had a sing-along i had the pre-ballet creative ballet um beginner's ballet uh-huh. and right now i'm only offering creative dance i mean on um, pre-ballet and beginner's ballet because that's what I specialize in. That is what I have. Yes. I have expertise in the area now for, you know, early arts. And that was mm-hmm. huge for me because it kind of like everything else melted away and I didn't feel nervous. It was a game changer for me because I felt mm. I felt a power within like, no, I have something to give here. And that, you know, that felt so inspiring to keep going like when classes fell apart i was still like no but this is what i do so next time i'm going you know i'll make the shift in the the sing-along class things fell apart i was like oh my god like oh jeez i'm gonna quit like nobody's coming back to this class like you know this is like Uh you know it was a different um reaction that i had and so shifting and just kind of like turning my back to things that didn't have to do with me. Like I had no business. Not that I didn't have any business. I can do whatever I want. But my training is in ballet and that and also early arts. Yeah. And so bringing those two together and standing firmly in what I felt that I was an expert in um, really changed how I approached the business. that so like bolstering down and saying this is what i do this is what i do well and this is what i will focus on as opposed to yeah well you know there's this thing and there's this thing and people want this thing and kind of what other people's expectations might have been from you mm-hmm. or of you and you saying no nope, i know who i am i know what i do well i'm gonna do that message Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think just being brave about that and yeah I, it's the funny thing about this like I didn't even realize that that's what I was doing because you read these inspirational stories, you you know read about your heroes and people that you're like, oh yeah, I want to be just like them, and they talk about you know that peeling away and that focus. It's like you can't do all the things yeah. and be really good at them, right? You have mm. to focus in and throw yourself into the thing that you want to be successful in, and um, I. I believe that, but I wasn't living that, but I didn't realize that I wasn't living that until that moment hit where it was like, wait, 
okay, what are you offering here? Mm. Like, what is actually happening? Yeah, you can do all these things, but what are you offering people when you're doing that? And did you feel like were, were there uh, folks around you that you had that conversation with? Or was it very individual that you kind of made this discovery and you said, this is how I'm going to go about it? Yeah, I think it was it was both. Like you have to have that moment where you're realizing, you know, it kind of creeps in and you're like, you know, starting to feel like this is not feeling so good and mm-hmm. I'm still doing it. And then just like kind of mentioning it to people and seeing their reaction you know, because people, if you kind of catch them when they're feeling, you know, open, uh-huh. you can see when your friend is like really excited for you or they're just like, I'm supporting you, sort of, mm. you know? The difference between those two things. Uh huh. Yes, there's a huge <laughs> difference. Yeah, so I think it was more individual. And then, and but that's the way that I like to work too. Like, I like to make the decision and then I'm like, okay, you guys, mm-hmm. this is what's happening, you know? I don't like to have too many inputs because that's confusing to me. And it makes me feel insecure in my own decision making. So I try to make decisions by listening to, you know, my gut, Mm. listening to my intuition and kind of figuring it out and seeing how I feel when I'm doing the work. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. And And I think a lot of people can struggle with decision making in that sense in terms of what should I ask should I find out and then I think there's some people that very clearly are like nope I feel it I felt it the gut said intuition it was God I listened for the little voice whatever it was (laughs) but they're like and now I know and so this is the direction I'm going to go in so I I love that you said you know generally how you operate is like I know it. Mm-hmm. Now I'll tell you all about it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very um, decisive and means that you know you trust yourself. And you have to, right? You're. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel, <laughs> especially when you're building a business, it's like mm. as an entrepreneur, who else are you going to trust? Because in the very beginning, when you're planting that idea. Most times people are like, oh, that's cute. What else? What are you going to do if it fails? You know, like, so I, uh-huh. and yeah, yeah. at the very beginning, that's what kind of happens. Like you just build yourself up. You're like, no, I have to make this happen. If I don't make this happen, it's not going to happen because I can't depend on my friend that I love and uh-huh. supports me <laughs> to help me yes. get this vision done, you know, <laughs> until it's like, you know, a operation and the thing turns into a machine and that's completely different. So what would you say you see as the near future or even like further future for Lil Dumplings or for you individually in terms of this playful dance, you know, this world that you created that's really beautiful, especially for for children. Yes, I'm hoping to, well, I'm working on it right now is um, creating like a mini series where it's like little tutorials where we're going through um, dance steps and using our imaginations and just having fun and learning, you know, dance, learning ballet. And you said, when I hear mini series, the first thing I thought was like... Things that would come on network television. So you just mean, uh, this is for me more than anybody. Maybe everybody (laughs) else got it. But a mini series of kind of like videos that will lead up to, I guess, when put together, maybe it's a instructional video on learning these ballet techniques, something like that. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Great. I explained that really well. Yes, you did. (laughs) Exactly how I do it. (laughs) Given that Little Dumplings, how how many years has it been around? Oh, so I hmm, 
I started in 2014 officially as Little Dumplings okay. in the living room. Yeah, yeah. So we're at, oh my gosh, six years? Yeah. More, going into the seventh year. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> With that in mind, have you seen any of the kids that like, you know, started as two-year-olds and that are now eight year old and they're still invested or like, yeah. how have you watched the kids kind of transform? What's that been like? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's like the best, especially when they see me outside of um, like, uh, I taught at an elementary school. So my little dumplings were now in first and kindergarten, first and second grade. Yeah. And sometimes they're like, Miss Sherelle, do you remember when I did your ballet class? <laughs> and <I'm> like, <laughs> yes, I do. And they're like, yeah. I remember that too. My mom liked it and I liked it too. You know, like they just like start right. saying random facts, but it's really, it's really cool to see that. But also it you, you see time, like looking at the right. child, you're like, okay, that's the amount of time that has passed. And that yeah. is, you know, like it just makes you appreciate all the opportunities and all the lives that, you know, I've been able to be a part of. And that's the coolest thing. Yeah. Yeah. And with your kids, cause you have, Two, two kids? I do. Do you see certain budding, like either in dance, in the arts, in other places? What are things that you see that you're excited to kind of <laughs> uh, <laughs> nurture in, in your own children? Yeah, my daughter loves musical theater, but she's still at the stage where she wants to act like, you know, it doesn't matter to her, you know. <laughs> But I'll do the show. I'll do the show. She's above it. She's above it until she's like, oh, well, never mind. I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, and they both are into music. And my son, he's just such a, like a little fireball. I don't know. He's just he tells me he just wants to do cool stuff. Like he wants to be a cool dude. <laughs> and I was like, OK, I don't know what that means. But however, we're going to make that happen. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think because I'm so much into it that they're kind of like trying to feel their way around but i don't see anything that's like jumping out of me except that they appreciate the arts yeah 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 it's it's always interesting like when the artsy parents end up with <laughs> kids that are like okay that's cool but i'm, <laughs> I'm not doing that or it's like yeah. you're too excited you're too pumped about it so yes, exactly right. it's like every time they mention it i'm like jumping all over like okay so you want to take voice lessons next? <laughs> and they're like, okay, mom, calm down. But my daughter did say that she wants to have a business one day like mommy. Oh, so I thought that was... That's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> the the dance class that I took as a kid, or the dance school that I was kind of enrolled in after school type of activities was um, run by three Black women. And I went there for at least, I would say 12 years, like from when I was a little kid to when I was a teenager. And I didn't recognize until I became an adult how much just seeing them as Black women in dance, but also Black in entrepreneurs, Black female entrepreneurs, how much that influenced my ideas mm. around ownership, mm. around possibility, and around like, yeah, I can I can have a business that's all my own. You know what I mean? Like like yes. I can do it. Yes. Um. So it so it is great that. At the very least, your children, but certainly there are many other people uh, who are recognizing your impact and your influence on um, people's idea of possibility for the culture. I really hope so. I, I have to tell you, Eric, I had this student who, when I walked in a room, she looked at me, she goes, your hair is just like mine. And it struck me 
because I didn't realize how important that is, you know, and it was just, and then it made me think about my experience of being in a dance world where I didn't see a teacher whose hair was just like mine until I was at LaGuardia, you know, and in the next days, like over the next week, she wanted to wear her hair out. Like she was like biggest poofs that you can yes. ever imagine, you know? Oh. And she's just like, Miss Chevelle, look at my hair today. It looks like yours last week. And it was just like, it it, it, it goes into what you were saying earlier about that representation. Like even if it's just seeing someone that looks like you, it's so important. And that was the beginning of me recognizing the impact that I might, that I had the opportunity to make in the dance world and for these kids, you know? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it sounds, it sounded like I was about to like cry right then it and there. I got a little something in my throat, but my gosh, but you know, but I can cry. I can cry if I want to. Oh, so you were to pull it on. Or... <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. We end uh, the 180 with a quote. So I'm going to share a quote and we can, I want to hear your thoughts about it. To have faith is to trust yourself to the water. When you swim, you don't grab hold of the water because if you do, you will sink and drown. Instead, you relax and float. And that's a quote from Alan Wilson Watts. I love that. It makes me think of just like when people talk about surrendering and things just, you know, become easier, like you're not fighting for things. And I think that that's so important to recognize when you are creating a business and going down your career or, you know, just making decisions about your life. Like how hard are you actually fighting? Is it fighting against you mm. or are you fighting to get better at it? Like where is that fight and recognizing what is that tension that, you know, you're you're trying to grasp onto something that you'll never truly have like my sing-along classes and where, you know. <laughs> Circle back, yeah, yeah, the call back, yes. You know, and just like finding like, where is your expertise and where are you gonna be floating? Ooh, that, you know? that was, oh. I love that. <laughs> yes, that was, that was good. That was, where will you be floating? That's, oh, that's, that's impacting me clearly <laughs> because it is about that relinquishing and trusting and mm -hmm. the ability to do that can be challenging, but it also can be so empowering. Right. So where are you floating? Mm -hmm. Well, Sherelle, <laughs> thank you so much for being here oh on you, the 180. Eric. And um, I want to make sure that folks stay connected with you and Little Dumplings. Oh, yeah. Are you all on Twitter and Instagram? I know you're on Instagram. Just Instagram. We Just are Instagram. not doing a Twitter for the yeah, baby. Yeah, for the baby. No, that's yeah. too much. No, no, I don't know what we're going to be doing there. Right, right, right. No <laughs> two and a half year olds on Twitter. Um, so you all can follow Little Dumplings on Instagram at Little Dumplings, and that's mm -hmm. L I L D U M P L I N S. Uh, so please make sure to follow and keep up with Sherelle and what the little dumplings are doing. Yeah. And if you're in Detroit, Michigan, go go say hey. Yeah, come on over. Yeah. We can have some coffee. We can meet somewhere a socially distanced dance. <laughs> right, right, socially distanced dance for sure. <laughs> Um, is there anything else that you want to shout out? No, well, thank you for having me. And I, I hope that everyone that listens to your show finds the courage to do what their heart is leading them to do and to fight in that floating too. Because hey. there's moments that you float, but you have to keep going and, you know, become an expert. 
become an expert in your field. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Sherelle. And um, I'm so excited that we had the experience of getting to chat with you, but especially that we got to learn more about your story and how you made the 180. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. The 180 is produced by David Treatman with audio production and editing by Mike Luno. Original music composed by Jarrett Landon and sung by yours truly. And digital portraits by Byron McRae. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. We need your help to spread the love and inspiration. Follow us on all social media at The180Pod and visit our website at www.the180pod.com. If you want to help support these stories, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get access to chat more with me. You can also get exclusive content, merchandise, and you can hear episodes early. Visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com, the180pod. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Take care and be blessed. Know that you'll have a blessing if you just keep on pressing. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180.